0: This week on Hyperspace Broadcast, we find a Gundam buried in the backyard. And welcome to another episode of Hyperspace Broadcast, a show where two real friends dig through Toonami's back catalog and try to determine what, if anything, is worth revisiting. I'm Michael Doak.
1: And I'm
0: Peter Eby. And this week we are beginning our coverage of the show, Turn A Gundam, with episodes 1 through 10. Turn A Gundam, a show that did not appear on Toonami, although (laughs) supposedly it was, like, considered as a follow-up for Gundam Wing, which would have been very strange if it had come yeah. to pass uh, currently there is no dub of turn a gundam uh it is just subtitles for us and yeah i i don't know if you've been listening along uh you might have noticed that like the last three major series that we covered that were from toonami drove us to madness
1: <laughs> yeah
0: um oh yeah <laughs> but, but the combined forces of outlaw star uh chronicle or i guess record of lodos war chronicles of the heroic knight and dragon ball were just uh, a triple whammy of generally bad experiences
1: yeah i I mean i'll I'll sign up like outlaw star i liked well enough i at least thought it was pretty look to look at yeah sure even though it, it was kind of disappointing overall the the double whammy of chronicles of Heroic Knight and that dub and then dragon ball with all of its shit yeah oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it it's was been a bit a, much and it's been it's been a lot yeah and we've talked <laughs>
0: and, about that uh, obviously already but like yeah it's it's, it's worth death. reiterating who boy and for me outlaw star is part of it because i like genuinely couldn't even remember that we watched it like it just completely <laughs> fell out of my head the second I yeah. was done thinking about it. So, yeah. So, we decided, you know what? Let's watch something that we uh, are both actually going to enjoy, or at least hopefully. Uh, I have seen Turn A Gundam before I watched it several years ago, and it's one of my favorite Gundam series. It, for me, it's really up there with Zeta Gundam possibly I like it more. I'm not sure. I feel like by the time we're done with this series, I'm going to say, yes, this is my favorite Gundam series. And I've talked it up to you uh, on a few occasions. And so after one time when we recorded uh, dragon ball, we were like, man, we should just watch literally anything else. And I don't know how this came up, but it did. So we're going to watch it, even though it has nothing to do with anything because it's a good show, and I want to talk about a good show for a change. Because <laughs> yeah, it's been too, me too. long.
1: <laughs> it's, it's like... And I haven't seen like a Gundam show in a while, so it'd be nice to catch up on something like that. It, it's just always fun to dive into that, and I, you know, I had seen little bits and pieces on Turn A Gundam. I just knew it as like, it's that weird Gundam with the mustache that looks really strange. Yes, yes. And it is. And <laughs> it does. It is does. a
0: weird-looking Gundam, for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of weird things about this show. I really love this show, but one of the things that makes it so unique and fun is that there are just some weird... Aspects to it. The opening, for example, is just this really like trippy, almost Bond opening sequence kind of animation with very strange music. the The logo says "Called Turn A Gundam," like it has like a
1: pronunciation guide, basically. (laughs) Yeah because the it, the symbol is an upside down yeah, A right. and it's like I don't know what the fuck to call that. <laughs> yeah, you're not a
0: mathematician. <laughs> you don't know what
1: that is. Yeah. Uh, of the turns out yeah. it's actually called a turn yeah, A. Right.
0: So oh. so it's called Turn A Gundam. Uh there is like a, a man saying Turn A Gundam in a very distinctive voice that is like
1: Turn A Gundam. it's It's like like
0: without an accent at all which is really strange i don't know it's like almost robotic but synthesized through human vocal cords
1: it's 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 amazing
0: (laughs) and then you have all this trippy stuff and this weird music where the the lyrics are just turn a turn turn a turn turn a (laughs)
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah
0: and like it's crazy and then the main character like falling with a bunch of uh, other main characters in the background. I don't know. I suppose we should get to the actual like substance of talking about this show. Maybe
1: you should check out that opening though, because oh, it absolutely, is, it's uh, amazing. It's it's incredible. <laughs> it's, it, it's a sign of things to come in a way. Except, uh, you know, it's maybe a little weirder than the actual show. Yeah, is I'd say. So far. I would
0: say that the opening is a bit weirder, just visually. There, there's just a lot of yeah interesting stuff going on visually. So. Uh, Turn A Gundam was created in 1999 as part of Bandai's Gundam Big Bang, a 20th anniversary celebration. <laughs> you might remember yeah. this uh, project if you're a longtime listener, because the other, well, one of the other two things that was really part of this celebration was the production of the live action film G-Savior, which we covered oh, as boy. our very first uh, New Year's special. And yeah. that's its whole thing. Uh go listen to that episode. I actually think that episode's pretty good for our early stuff yeah. uh that movie is crazy your...
1: <laughs> you You bought a bootleg yes yeah. yeah, so, and also I
0: bought a bootleg d v d of it not realizing it until we watched it, and I was like, You're... man, it looks like someone like filmed this with a camcorder like this looks like garbage. Yes. <laughs>
1: terrible
0: on the menu is Didn't so crazy either yeah and then the movie's bad <laughs> on its own right too so you know it's just yeah really. just a disaster anyway uh the other thing that was part of this project was the cgi short gundam mission to the rise which i have not seen i don't know <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that someday but yeah
1: maybe it looks neat, yeah I guess. Right. probably it, not
0: it, it's a 1999 it, cgi short it probably looks like yeah, crap right let's be fair
1: if it looked anything like the G Savior CG then yeah, ugh, then, then let's out. not even bother. So yeah.
0: Also I believe that there was a uh like a remastered re-release of the 3 Mobile Suit Gundam movies uh
1: for the 20th anniversary. Oh. Uh, yeah, the compilation movies. Yeah.
0: But the big thing about Turn A is that it was the return of the creator of Mobile Suit Gundam itself, uh Yoshiyuki Tomino, who had basically been absent from the series or the franchise i guess for about six years uh, after victory gundam and that's kind of its own story basically yeah. what happened is that during pre-production for victory gundam uh sunrise which is the studio that produces all these shows was bought out by bondi and bondi was kind of trying to squeeze money out of the franchise because its popularity was waning and so they had all these, like, specific things that they wanted Tomino you know, to do in Victory Gundam, and he really hated it. And as a result, Victory Gundam is this very dark and depressing series where characters <laughs> will just randomly die for no reason. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. like, I've watched some of it. but <laughs> It's not good, honestly. It's pretty bad, so. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm going to say about Victory Gundam for now, anyway uh but also like after victory gundam there were a number of series that are part of the gundam franchise but not actually part of the original timeline of mobile suit gundam this gets kind of weird but basically Mobile Suit Gundam itself takes place in the universal century timeline. And then there are several other series. The first being G Gundam that don't take place in that continuity, but are still part of the overall like metaverse
1: of Gundam. They have their their own alternate universe for G Gundam and also for Wing Gundam. Yeah. And also for for a few other ones too. I mean, uh,
0: Seed. Yes. is also an alternate universe. I can't remember. I think there's one more before this came out, uh, That would be After War Gundam X, I believe, is the other one. So Yeah,
1: I always assumed that one was like distant Universal Century. No, it's not. That one's also alternate timeline.
0: So apparently Tomino generally did not like these alternate universe Gundam things, which maybe is a little bit provincial, but like... Also, the first one to come out was g Gundam, and i can 't imagine something more out of alignment with the overall tone of Mobile Suit Gundam and subsequent series than g Gundam
1: yeah, so yeah for I, I sure. think it's somewhat justified <laughs> as, as fantastic as G Gundam is, it is its complete own thing yeah right, right
0: it well it 's just so separate from what had come before, and I can imagine as the creator Absolutely. of what had come before and like taking the this show really seriously. It would be (laughs) a bit of a slap in the face to have the next thing be this totally goofy, over-the-top, like, almost Dragon Ball Z-esque take on your thing. Like, I I can understand Ludicrously toyetic. Exactly. I can understand his problem with that. And yes, the toyetic aspect, too, I'm sure, also didn't make him very happy after being told, no... The Gundam has to show up in the first episode of Victory Gundam. I don't care if that's not how it's written. It has to, because we need to sell model kits, which is basically what happened.
1: Yeah, that sucks when your production company gets bought out by a toy company. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm sure it does. Uh, But hey, you know, he, he came back and the series began airing on April 9th, 1999, Uh, directed by Yoshiyuki Tomino, of course. The music is by Yoko Kano, which is great. And it also features the first Gundam designed by a non-Japanese person. Uh, This was designed by Sid Mead, who is a concept artist who worked on Blade Runner, among other things. So that's also unique. And the Tornade design, if you haven't seen it, is very unique for a Gundam design. The main thing that's weird about it is that uh, Most Gundams have a V-fin, which is just this kind of V thing above their eyebrow. Uh, For the turn A, that was moved down to be below the eyes, so it's basically a big mustache. And it looks yeah. kind of goofy, but I don't know. I've kind of fallen in love with it just having watched the show. Like, I, I like the design quite a bit now because it is so unique and different from other Gundam designs. Yeah there's no mistaking turn a and a lineup of
1: other Gundams. Yeah, definitely not. I still think the head looks a little odd, but I, I, I'm in the same boat. I'm like growing to like the design a lot. And the, um, I also like that in the show, they constantly referred to it as the mustachioed mobile suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, they're aware. Like, okay. So they get it.
0: <laughs> they're aware that it clearly has a big old mustache. It needs a cigar, yeah, right? Like that's the turn a custom that I need to see is a turn a smoking <laughs> a big cigar. Yeah, yeah. It uh, just yeah. seems appropriate. So moving on to the synopsis, uh, we're just gonna kick off with my favorite episode of this first ten episode block, and that's episode one, Howl to the Moon. Uh this is more or less the pilot, and it begins with these three kids, they're thirteen, uh being sent to Earth in a mobile suit called a flat by the Moon Race, which is a civilization of humans that are living on Earth's moon and Just some Gundam vocabulary really quick in case you're not familiar with the franchise overall. Uh, Mobile suits are mechs. They're just giant robots that are vaguely humanoid. Gundams are a specific type of mobile suit that are generally more powerful and tend to be white and, I don't know, they have, like, laser guns and stuff. So, yeah. just, Just as a heads up in case you're not familiar, when I'm saying mobile suit, I mean giant robot yeah it's not a suit you can move around in <laughs> yeah right right it's it's not like a a tuxedo uh it is yeah in fact it's not a big the robot. tuxedo yeah and it's not yeah, jackie it's not... chan's the tuxedo either where he gets a robotic tuxedo that makes him good at kung fu fighting even though he's a taxi driver It is a mobile suit <laughs> yeah technically that is a mobile suit we'll table this <laughs> that, we gotta a. is a gundam movie <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about whether that's a gundam movie next time it, maybe we'll put it in there with yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> we find, we find an excuse to watch the tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. yeah It's close enough to tsunami, whatever.
1: It's like, they, I actually heard they're gonna air it on Toonami. <laughs> Just make it up.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, these three thirteen year olds are sent down to basically observe, uh, earth humans for the moon race because the moon rays are planning on coming back to earth and resettling it. And these three characters are Fran Dahl, uh, Keith Laiji, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, to be honest. My apologies. He never really said it. He's mostly just said called Keith. And Lauren Sehak, who is the main character and is kind of an accident-prone, good-natured, but maybe a little bit naive kid. Like, I think that's the best way to describe him. Fran wants to be a journalist, and Keith wants to be a baker. So... They disperse and sort of infiltrate Earth society, and the specific area they're in is Ameria, which is North America, basically, in the very far future.
1: It's kind of funny. At one point, they look at a map, and they're like, yeah, it's near Floria and Louisiana, and and it just seems like somewhere in this dark history of forgotten shit. I guess a a lot of the states and places in the world just lost a single letter in their name.
0: Yeah, I mean th- that's true of like Floria and Ameria certainly, but Louisiana is very weird and different compared to Louisiana. Yeah, it's just and <laughs> like a Z. Yeah, and <laughs> a U. It's it's just corrupted versions of modern names for these places for the most part. So human society, despite being in the far future, is sort of resembling turn of the century Earth. Specifically the 19th to 20th century, so more or less the most advanced stuff these people have is, like, a biplane or, like, an armored car. That's the highest-tech military stuff they have access to. A radio system. Right, right. Which is, like, newly (laughs) developed, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Loren is traveling through this field where he's attacked by some wolves, and he's saved by a man in an airship who fires at the wolves to scare them off. This guy is Lord Gwynne Reinford, who is leader of Inglesa, which is the region or, I guess, the country that they're in currently. Uh, and then Lauren tries to bathe in a river, but he has this little goldfish toy that floats out into the current. So he chases after it, trips and gets pulled away by the current and almost drowns. Lauren wakes up in the town of Vicinity City at the house of Lord Heim because he was saved by Lord Heim's daughters who were also bathing in the river and saw this drowning boy and basically saved him. Uh, those daughters are Ladies Kihel and Sochi Heim. Lauren notes that Kihel Heim looks pretty much exactly like Queen Diana Soriel, who is the queen of the moon race. And then Lord Haim employs Lauren to work in his mines, although eventually he becomes the family's chauffeur uh, after meeting Lord Reinford again in person. And yeah,
1: because he's like good with mechanics and stuff.
0: Yeah, which makes sense because he's from a much more advanced society. Gwyn Reinford, for the record, refers to Lauren as Laura, it's implied that he misheard him the first time, but later he's like, "No, I think Laura suits him better." So he he just calls <laughs> it's a him power Laura, move. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like mm, this is my nickname for you. It's just a different name, and if you object, I think this name's better for you.
1: Yeah, I'll we'll still keep calling you it. Deal with it. <laughs> Great.
0: I'm an aristocrat. Yeah. You're just a chauffeur. What are you gonna do? <laughs> <It's> pretty <laughs> much how it is. Uh, so. Lauren goes on a shopping trip to Noxus City and runs into Keith, who is now working at a bakery, and the two decide to meet secretly later. Uh, Sochi follows Lauren to this meeting where Lauren meets with Frandall and Keith, and basically they discuss what's going on and what they've learned in the intervening time. So they've learned that uh, Inglesa is preparing for war against some country that is across the Atlantic Ocean, but they think that actually they're preparing for war against the moon race, which will be returning to Earth soon. They're not totally positive, but they think that basically there's some kind of duplicity going on where the leaders are saying, well, it's because of this country across the ocean, when in fact they know that the threat is coming from the moon.
1: Which no one knows about, really, like in common society people don't know that there are people on the moon yeah right of course so uh keith and fran tell lauren
0: to go check on their flat which is the mobile suit buried in the mountain that they came down on to make sure no one's found it Uh, lauren goes up to the mountain and finds the flat and so she follows him again and then she sees him as he's like you know joyously laughing that he found the flat and then he calls up to the sky that all of the moon Race people need to come back to earth because earth is beautiful and great and like they just need to come back as soon as possible yeah so this is my favorite episode for a number of reasons um to be honest partially I, I enjoy the fact that this first episode does not actually have the gundam in it at all just as a yeah. just as a as someone who knows that apparently that was a point of contention with victory gundam i think it's a little funny that when Tamino came back he was like no i am making a first episode without a gundam in it you're not fucking stopping <laughs> me this time yeah. <laughs> apparently um But the other thing that's cool about that is, like, I I think what makes a good beginning to a Gundam series is, or a Gundam movie for that matter, I guess, is um, you you establish this society and these characters and basically what their normal lives are like before this war or whatever conflict crashes in and completely turns everything over and forces them to reckon with this big new event. And the the way that that works usually is that about halfway through the first episode, the war happens, and then everyone gets drafted, and they have to fight. And that works fine, but I think that giving the world a full episode, or really an episode yeah. and a half, because the combat doesn't really start for a while yet, um, giving it that time to breathe makes it, Feel more impactful when the war actually does start because you've spent a decent amount of time with these characters in their living situation already, and you actually get to see how much it changes because of the war. Rather than having like yeah. a few moments of them going to school and then like, oh, there's a mobile suit battle, which is usually how it works, basically.
1: I really enjoyed in this episode too, how the main characters are very innocent when they go down to Earth. Like and through the entire time, like they seem like they don't understand that perhaps they're being used as reconna they're not they don't understand they're being used as reconnaissance for an invasion. You know. They're going down And they're kind of thinking like, well, people are going to welcome us and we have to keep it secret, but they're not like spies or like they're not craven or anything. They just actually want to integrate with society and they all, you know, come to love Earth. Like the, the, the second episode does a two year time skip before there's any like sign of people coming down from the moon besides these like forward, you know, agents, these these three kids. And I thought that was really cool. Like, they don't really know what's going on in the bigger picture. And it, it kind of blows up in their faces when an actual invasion and war breaks out, which they just think like, oh, the people on the moon are going to come down and they'll settle here too. And it'll be great. Right. And of course, that's not how it happens. And, yeah, you know, one of the
0: other things that's great about this episode is just the final scene of Lauren calling up to the sky that everyone has to come down. And you know yeah. live on earth again is just very effective dramatic irony, like we right. know what's about to happen and how bad it is, but for this moment, the Lauren can be happy thinking that everything's yeah. gonna work out fine, It's kind of heartbreaking, honestly, like it's yeah, right, yeah, especially after having watched the series already, just knowing in that moment like what that earnest, genuine wish leads to is. Very effective. Like, I think that's great. Yeah. So, moving on, uh, we have a time skip of two years, and Sochi and Lauren are preparing for their coming-of-age ceremony, which takes place in the shadow of the White Doll, which is a big, mustached statue in the mountains above Vicinity City, uh, where the ceremony takes place. Kehel is going to make her social debut at a ball at Bostonia Castle, which is Lord Gwyn's home. And Gwen reveals to Kihel at this point that he's actually been in contact with the Moon Race for the last two years trying to negotiate some way for the Moon Race to come back without it being an invasion. Uh and negotiations are not going super well. They haven't really agreed on much, even though it's been two years. At the coming of age ceremony, uh Sochi chooses Loren to perform the ritual, which is putting leeches on each other's backs to carve the six sacred marks into someone's back to show that they are an adult uh, and he takes his place on this platform held by the white doll but then as they're up there the return begins which is to say that the moon race comes down and they are immediately attacked by the inglesa militia who are again flying biplanes. and <laughs> yeah the moon race's main mobile suit is the wadam which is even for a giant robot absolutely giant like it's twice the size of a regular mobile suit which are themselves yeah. like five or six stories tall <laughs> so plus it it's has like gigantic and kind of,
1: it's like some kind of invisible energy shielding too which clearly just absorbs all the bullets from the biplanes. It's just like wow, they are hopelessly outmatched. Yeah, yeah,
0: they're completely outmatched. And so they're trying to fight this giant mech, and the mech's pilot, uh Poe gets irritated and fires a warning shot, sort of, which is like a battleship rated laser cannon, <laughs> which just yeah. completely obliterates several planes and also like demolishes a lot of noxus city just destroys it and she fires a couple more times and also destroys much of vicinity city in the carnage so while this fight is taking place they can see it from the coming of age ceremony and the uh white doll begins to move the the outer layer of stone starts falling off and it reveals that it is in fact as sochi calls it a mechanical doll or the Turn A Gundam, and Lauren gets inside the cockpit, uh, and the Turn A Gundam kind of automatically fires its beam rifle at the Wadom, driving Poe off and basically ending the conflict. Although there are massive casualties and massive destruction as a result, so vicinity city was destroyed in the battle. And Kiel and Sochi's father, Lord Haim, is killed during the fighting. Uh, I believe his ser- he was in the servant's hut, and it collapsed and killed him. Sochi blames Loren for not acting fast enough, even though it would have been pretty much impossible for him to do so. And in general, everyone is confused and terrified because, I mean, yeah. for most people, aliens apparently exist and just invaded and totally destroyed two cities, with, like, no apparent effort. Um, Meanwhile, for Gwyn, who's been negotiating with the Moon Race all this time, he's confused because they just suddenly sent people down and attacked without warning, and Noxus City is still getting destroyed, etc. So the three Moon Race kids meet and basically decide not to return to the Moon Race based on this. Yeah. Uh, Poe, the pilot of the Wadam, is ordered to recover the Ternay instead of facing a prison sentence for her actions during the first engagement, and the Moon Race begins establishing a colony, basically. Sochi is convinced by her friend Myashe, whose
1: father developed
0: the militia's new biplane, uh, to join the
1: militia and fly a plane. I really like um, Sochi's motivation at this point, too, where she's like— completely driven by revenge for her father which is understandable and um becomes kind of like definitely more you know warlike and like kind of aggressive towards any idea of like moon race coming down and i just thought that was a really interesting character development and like compared to her sister who is like ends up in a more diplomatic position yeah working with lord Gwyn.
0: Yeah, and um, they
1: think like that's really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and their characterization too. Sochi is more of like a tomboy kind of compared to Kiel, mm-hmm. who is her older sister, who's more ladylike, I suppose. So it makes sense that they would kind of fall into those positions based on that, also. Yeah.
1: And I'm 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 curious to see like how that's going to turn out in the plot because like I know there's conflict there that's going to come out.
0: Right, right, and also a pretty big thing that we'll get to shortly so uh lauren decides to meet with the leaders of diana counter which is the Moonrace military protecting the returners and he basically tries to convince them not to fight the people of earth because the people of earth have like nothing that can compare to the moon race's technology except this one mobile suit they just found and don't understand how to operate yet at all yeah like they have a little you know, manual, but unlike say Amaro Ray, who can glance at a manual and immediately pilot the Gundam um Lauren cannot immediately pilot the turn a he actually sucks pretty hard at it for a yeah. few episodes, which is kind of interesting, so he meets with the Diana counter you know leaders, uh among them, Harry Ord, who is a very fashionable man who is also captain of Diana's (laughs) Royal Guard. Harry Ord is great. He just has these weird bug-eye sunglasses and often wears very goofy-looking outfits, and I really love them. (laughs) (laughs) Because just, like, the most clashing you could possibly get on one human being.
1: Yeah, at one point he wears, like, yellow and black, like, looks like a referee shirt, and this is a ball.
0: It's crazy. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: It's amazing. So Kehell, as you were kind of saying earlier, becomes Gwyn's aide as he tries to negotiate with the Moon Race. Things get off to a bad start when they have a meeting and uh one of the other leaders of, I guess, the Amerians, this guy named Elder Iru, assassinates Captain Aji, who is the leader of Diana Counter with a crossbow that he apparently <laughs> oh, yeah. managed to hide on him. Uh, Harry Ord attempts to shoot Gwen Reinford as revenge, but uh, Elder Iru takes the bullet, and negotiations are halted temporarily. Though they will actually continue somehow, despite the fact that there were just multiple assassinations during a peace conference. Yeah. While this is all happening, a historian of the dark history named Sid is excavating mobile suits from the mountain cycle, which is a thing that I don't even understand really how to explain, to be honest. Uh, I don't know what the mountain cycle is. It's just like a holding area for mobile suits, basically. Uh, and they they managed to excavate some mobile suits that are ball-shaped because they are kapools, uh, which are these weird, <laughs> goony looking mobile suits that I really like the design of.
1: Yeah, from Zeta Gundam, right? Or double uh, double Zeta.
0: Zeta, actually, but yes.
1: So That's, that's really cool, too, because it's like nothing about the show screams at you that like, hey, this has old Gundam in it and it's relevant and it connects things. And in this, it's like you just get this hint like, oh, wait, I know that mobile suit. What the fuck?
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's not the first mobile suit uh, or rather not the last mobile suit to show up that uh, resembles or strongly resembles one from a previous
1: series. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. I love, too, the aspect of, like, this is a society, like, things have collapsed and come back together and collapsed and come back together, and now, like, it's left, Earth is left with a society that is, like, 1900s in technology, and, you know, there's a bunch of, like, excavatable old tech that's like super advanced. Like I love that kind of shit in fiction and in like video games and stuff and seeing it played out in here with like a engrossing story. Ah, it's just great.
0: Yeah. It's done really well for sure. Um, it kind of reminds me of Warhammer 40 K honestly, that's a similar idea.
1: And I like too, that the, um, the culture of this like village has like adapted and built around this Gundam that they don't even really realize is a mobile suit. Like with the white doll ritual, like the marks and stuff that resemble the marks on the uh on the mobile suit itself, so it's just like a neat cultural thing that kind of gets my anthropology uh student jimmy's in a in a russell
0: right and and that's the other thing that's interesting about this is this idea of these kind of i don't know not cultural memories necessarily, but these old things that have been passed down to the point where you don't really understand their origin anymore like yeah, yeah it's it's a similar thing with the names of all the countries or you know societies within this area that it's sort of this again like kind of corrupted history of what used to be uh, i think yeah. that's a, a really cool idea and it, seeing seen it in a gundam show in particular is just interesting it's not the kind of thing that Gundam usually deals with for the most part so anyway uh, a bunch of kapools are recovered and the militia pilots start training in the kapools including Sochi and uh, Miyashi and then Queen Diana Sorial herself comes down to earth to continue the negotiations and initially the militia leaders plan on kidnapping her there is a brief fight where they attempt to do so, but are foiled pretty easily uh and then Dinah and Gwyn basically begin negotiating over a zone the moon race supposedly holds claim to, although the American leaders deny it basically, there's like a sun belt zone that not a lot of people are living in because it's very hot and the moon race yeah. wants to settle there but the american leaders are like no that's still our territory you can't just take it because not too many people are there basically uh, lauren also finds an armory for the turn a although pretty much all of the weapons just crumble to dust immediately the turn a at this point still doesn't have a weapon <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> the the beam rifle that it had initially was destroyed because it fired at full power and basically ruined the barrel so for the most part in this first uh 10 episodes or so the turn a is just fighting hand to hand whenever it engages anybody which is kind of interesting
1: yeah lauren eventually <laughs> looking through that armory he finds the gundam hammer though which is fucking amazing
0: <laughs> yeah the gundam hammer most being uh the ball weapons. and chain
1: <laughs> yeah it's just a giant gigantic flail that has like rockets on it that can also activate <laughs> yeah. the fact that it has rockets on it is what's really great it's amazing <laughs> it's use so it goofy. to defend the uh defend the excavation site from like poe's forces who come in and attack to like try and steal the gun yeah and, or uh, just destroy pretty the awesome
0: militia's ability to collect more mobile suits basically yeah yeah so diana queen diana uh proposes a party in an attempt to unite the Amerian and Moonrace factions. And this is actually another episode that I really like. There's just these two episodes where they're kind of assembling this party and there's all this intrigue. Uh Keith yeah. is contracted to bake a cake for the Moon race so that they can display it to the Amerians and show that they, you know, mean peace. Uh, Gwyn has been referring to the pilot of the tournée as Laura this entire time, so he has Loren pose as a woman in order to keep it secret that Loren is actually a militia pilot. And this results in some honestly pretty adorable scenes where Kihal is teaching Loren basically how to dress and act like a lady for a party. Yeah. Uh, And then... Lauren goes to the party dressed as a woman, and like, there aren't like a bunch of weird transphobic jokes. It's crazy. No, it's it's almost like (laughs) cool. Like
1: yeah, everyone's fine with it.
0: Pleasant and fun. (laughs) There's nothing weird about it. It's great, honestly. uh So Yeah. yeah, and also like the party itself is so fun because when it starts all of the moon race people are on one side of the room and all of the Amerians are on the other side of the room like a middle school dance yeah, and dude. like you have this fun scene where lauren and kiel are talking about it and then kiel's like well someone's gotta break the ice and like pushes lauren out onto the dance floor yeah. <laughs> like it's just these fun little cute interactions between the characters so lauren posing as laura Uh, dances with harry ord who is wearing a fantastic suit for this party and basically tries to kind of mm, subtly indicate that the militia is more powerful than they first appeared uh, because they're recovering new mobile suits and training pilots how to use them and then the cake is brought in and assassins come out of the base of the cake and attempt to kill queen diana they're wearing militia uniforms and they are like some of them get away but the ambassador for the moon race ambassador mirren finds a like rebreather device that is moon race technology left under the base where all of these assassins were so he surmises that Maybe it wasn't actually the Militia, but instead a moon race faction that was trying to assassinate Diana, which is interesting. Again, it's just some yeah. more intrigue.
1: It's a fucking, like, false flag assassination attempt.
0: Yeah, right, which makes sense, given that the Militia has been fairly aggressive towards the moon race during yeah. all of this. Like, there are, you know, a handful of small battles that aren't necessarily worth mentioning, but... Have and they, they did try and kidnap this. her as well? Yeah, right, right. There's
1: also an episode where uh, Loren helps a moon race settler on the earth, um, gather some livestock from a village that was abandoned to the fighting. And um, this whole episode becomes like it becomes this big ordeal because like there are you know Terran citizens who look at, look at this and see like, oh, what are you doing? You're helping these assholes out, they're the reason the village is abandoned, and it becomes this like big kind of a controversial point and uh, kind of pushes Lauren to um, reveal to everyone that you know what no I'm from the moon race like he just reveals his secret to everybody which you know pretty big moment in the show and like especially with his relationship to Sochi who now hates the moon race with a passion because they killed her father right and you know so she has this like suddenly extremely strained relationship with him
0: Well, especially because up until this point, it has been heavily indicated that Sochi has some kind of crush on Lauren that is not reciprocated, really. And so this is a big turn for her where it's like, how can I trust you? You're from the moon race. You never fucking told me. And also, you're from the moon race. And they're monsters (laughs) who killed my dad. My mom is losing her mind because my dad is dead. And yeah, yep. they're just colonizing our planet and acting like bullies, frankly. But also, in addition to that, you have to remember that, technically speaking, everyone still thinks the pilot of the turn A is Laura, not Lauren. So... Yeah there's still some intrigue of like who is actually the moon race person is it lauren or is it laura although lauren eventually meets with harry ord who seems to have figured things out i mean it probably couldn't have been that hard given that uh, they didn't send too many people down to earth to i guess survey it beforehand There's an episode where a new detachment of Moonray's mobile suits arrive on Earth, which are commanded by a guy named Corin Nander, who seems to be suffering some kind of PTSD or something. He's, like, very animated and wacky, but in kind of a weird way. Uh, Also, his costume is completely ridiculous, (laughs) considering (laughs) that it's, like, wrestler spandex, like Olympic wrestler spandex, but on the crotch is a little like circle with an arrow coming out of it pointing up. And it is yeah extremely phallic, especially given
1: where it's placed. that it also uh, looks like the kingdom hearts colors. Like it's <laughs> something weird about it.
0: Yeah. He's got a weird design, but Corin is great because basically he's the first person to identify the turn a as a Gundam. He knows what a Gundam fucking is when no one else does. And yeah. he wants to fight it because he hates Gundams. And so he goes to fight it, and Sochi, because she feels betrayed by Loren, has convinced Gwyn that she should pilot the turn A because we shouldn't have a moon race person pilot in our most valuable weapon. Right. Basically. And so she fights Corrin but gets her ass handed to her because she barely understands how the turn A works and Corin is actually a pretty good fighter uh and the she like disables him temporarily Lauren gets back in the turnahe and chases Corin off you find out that the turnahe is a beam saber which is neat uh and basically this is the introduction of Corin Nander who matters more later but for now just know that he knows what a Gundam is and nobody
1: else does yeah <laughs> And he has zero regard for military protocol. <laughs> yeah, he's right. Complete right. Wild card. Like
0: the the fact that he's sent down at all is further indication that something is seriously wrong with the Diana counter chain of command. Because no yeah. one seemed to even authorize his release or
1: transfer.
0: Yeah, uh, even so, they, he's they even terrible have like, for them right yeah,
1: now. they have like a discussion too among themselves, like <laughs> about this. Like, wait, how did this happen? Like, <laughs> right, right. to be here? Should we? contain him because he could if you have a complete wild card in this extremely delicate political scenario yeah right where we have a ceasefire maybe
0: maybe we don't want the guy who's like just gonna run off and fight people because
1: he thinks it's fun like and harry's just like i'll handle it i'll watch over him and
0: harry does (laughs) not handle it well but whatever harry's got a lot on his (laughs) plate right now uh so i believe that brings us to episode 10 which is your favorite episode of the block.
1: Oh, yes. So episode 10 is the last episode we watched, and it is um, episode 10, Visit to a Grave, episode 10. Just letting you know, it's episode 10. Yeah, yeah. Um, the
0: last one we watched, episode 10.
1: Episode 10, Visit to a Grave. Um, I love this episode. It's fantastic. What happens is Diana basically tells Gwen that uh, the Vanguard wasn't operating on her orders, and, uh, you know, in terms of the like Poe coming in and blowing shit up like that wasn't supposed to happen. Right. So she asks for a tour of the damaged areas and she meets with Kehoe, who bears a striking resemblance to her. And they both see that and like have kind of a cute hangout (laughs) where they're like both drinking tea at the same time. They're like and mimicking each other. And they decide, Hey, you know what? Just, just for fun. Fuck it. Let's swap clothes and see if anyone will notice. And, you know, from what from what seems like just kind of like a funny, freaky Friday idea comes like some extremely poignant and like potent moments because they get like something happens and they have to like keep moving on. So they don't get a chance to change back, but they're all together anyway. And they end up landing and each character gets like called to, you know, the queen is called to talk with the ambassador. And so <laughs> Kehel as the queen has to like pretend she knows what he's talking about and like kind of roll along with it. Meanwhile, Diana, dressed as Kehoe, experiences firsthand, like, the suffering and, like, craziness that was caused by her, by her like, move here, by her trying to reestablish on Earth. They meet and they land and they go to Lord Heim's home, you know, Kehel's family. They see her mom and Diana, as Kehoe, has, like, is, like, asked to approach her mom and, like, speak to her up close because like she hasn't seen her in a while. And her mom is like delusional and kind of like starting, you know, she seems to have some like severe mental issues from this, um, from dealing with the death of her husband. And it's just like she, and there's some internal monologue happening at the same time where Diana is realizing like, Oh my God, like this is the kind of thing that like I caused this, like this is my invasion led to this like, complete destruction of this family, basically. And it's just really powerful. Like, it was, like, really well-handled character stuff going on there. And they visit they visit the grave of their father, which Kehoe hasn't seen yet. But Diana is the one... <laughs> since Diana's dressed as Kehoe, she's a she is the one expected to approach the grave and, like, mourn for her. And so she decides to just, like, let out her feelings and really kind of cry about it. And, you know mourn on behalf of kihel and kihel like s- standing there in the costume of the queen is like has to be silent and stay quiet about it which is like kind of fucked up but she she starts like quietly crying because like thanking queen diana for like going along with it and like you know being put in this ridiculous scenario but it's just like yeah that that whole thing was great and i, I want to see like what comes from that and how that kind of changes characters minds. Plus, my mind was, like, reeling at the thought of, like, the crazy shit that could happen, the crazy, extremely, like, tragic shit that could end up happening by having this kind of, like, character swapping thing, <laughs> like, character swapping their identities, because they're both on very different sides of, like, this conflict, um, you know i mean i guess it's an ambassador and a queen but still
0: yeah and the i like this episode a lot too the the moment at the end where diana is like genuinely mourning the death of her pretend father i guess in this instance is really emotional and the other thing i think that's worth noting too is that diana wanted to switch with kihel and remain switched like It was her idea to do this full-on personality switch in the first place. And they have these moments where they're, like, talking in the same room together to other people and sort of, like, gently nudging each other towards how they would speak appropriately. Which is, I don't know, just clever. Like, it's, it's fun to see these kinds of scenes where they have a secret and they are helping each other keep it i don't know it's yeah
1: it's handled astonishingly well like it was it was really good and so like after watching that too i was just like yeah dude we got to watch the whole series like <laughs> <laughs> right right because I'm completely sold
0: because we're considering doing this as a minisode but uh, yeah. i think we're just gonna watch the whole thing and talk about it so that's uh the first 10 episodes of turn a gundam we're going to go to our break when we get back we're going to talk about what we thought about these first 10 episodes uh talk about a bet and then i guess leave you to whatever you do after you listen to this podcast we don't want to know turn a gundam will return in a moment Hey there, everyone. It's Michael. Just jumping in during the break for some quick acknowledgements and for a quick apology for the delay of this episode. Our opening and closing music is, as always, Vapor Diving. The music for the bumpers is Monkeys. Both of these tracks are by Onatek. That's A-N-I-T-E-K. You can find more of their music on SoundCloud. Rights were secured through Jumendo. Turn A Gundam Part 2 will release on March 10th. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can DM us on facebook.com hbpod twitter at hppod, or you can email us at hyperspacebroadcastpod at gmail.com. And now, back to Turn A Gundam. Hey, we're back, Peter. Why don't you start us off? Uh, tell me how you feel about these first ten episodes
1: of Turning. Uh, Down I just up. thought it was fantastic. Like you may notice, we didn't have a Nadir in that synopsis. One because <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think either of us could think of a Nadir. No, and two. No the synopsis was going to be very long because it's a Gundam show and there's a lot of like intrigue and weird shit happening. Yeah. Even for um, a
0: Gundam show, there's a lot of political yeah. intrigue in this one, which is one of the things yeah. I like about it quite a bit, actually, but
1: same. It, it's that. it's fantastic. Uh, the, I just, I really love like the design of the world and like the Terran villages and cities and stuff. And this whole like turn of the century style is so cool. It, like, it sounds ridiculous when, when you're like, yeah, it's a Gundam show, and there's, like, turn-of-the-century stuff. I don't know. And it's like, what? That, why would they do that? That sounds like, I don't know, like a steampunk Gundam that I don't really want to see. But it turns out, actually, it's fucking awesome, and it's not <laughs> steampunk anyway. Yeah.
0: So. You know, you say that, and it's interesting, because um, when I was reading my Pojo's Unofficial Gundam Wing guide, or perhaps it was my An-America unofficial total Gundam guide or whatever. And yeah. Hold on, I have it right here.
1: A 90s relic, this.
0: The An-America anime and manga monthly Gundam official <laughs> guide, which almost certainly is not official, Yeah, uh, that I had when I was a kid, outlined all of the Gundam series that existed to that point. And at that point, I had only really watched, like, Gundam Wing
1: and maybe... Like ate the mess team, um but and no one here you know besides people on the internet who are like insiders, no one knew about other Gundam shows,
0: right, well, in turn A was like so weird and unusual looking to me that I was like, this looks terrible, like how would that possibly <laughs> work? That's stupid, Gundam's buried underground how what kind of sense does that make, and I mean right. it's a little silly in concept, but. It works really well, actually seeing it happen. Uh, But yeah, I I totally changed my mind on the aesthetic of the show from my first introduction to it.
1: Yeah. And I can see people being like turned off by some of the mobile suit designs because they are really out there. I've learned to like them. And if if you're one of those people who's like, I don't know, I like a mecha show, but uh, the mecha design looks weird. Like, this is a show worth getting into. This is fantastic. I mean, it's just like... The way they handle the political intrigue and like the character growth and like like I'm following like each character and just like under you know, you can understand like what they're going through and everyone's perspectives. Like the fact the very fact that like this invasion happens, Poe starts firing off and like causes a ton of collateral damage, and then she gets sentenced to 17 years in prison if she doesn't like shape up. Like I thought that was a really cool intricacy. It's this isn't just like the zeon showing up and blasting everyone or like you know some evil invasion necessarily you can tell that these are also people coming down and they are trying to resettle probably because they have to and you know they didn't intend for this carnage to happen and so it's it's just got a lot of, like, depth and complexity between the two sides already.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think the political intrigue angle of this show is probably one of its more unique qualities when it comes to Gundam shows also. Mm-hmm. Because, like, for the most part in this ten episodes, the two sides are at a ceasefire, like, technically. Technically, they're in the middle of peace talks. During these first 10 episodes, and most of the actual fights that happen are between like the turn A and one Wodom or Wadom or however it's pronounced, who cares? Uh, and like several much smaller mobile suits, like really the the plot driver is the political stuff happening yeah. not the war itself because there isn't really a war yet and i don't know that's really interesting because most gundam shows just kind of throw like most gundam shows have a very like boots on the ground perspective quote ends quote mm-hmm. um and while that can definitely be interesting, I think it's actually a really cool idea to take more of a top-down view of the conflict and, yeah. you know, ha- have political characters involved in the show in a way that is a bit more uh, realistic, maybe, than like Trey's Kush in Gundam Wing, for example. Uh, It just it just feels a little more real. And I think it's a perspective that Gundam doesn't have enough, which is the perspective of two sides engaged in conflict who are actually trying to make peace with each other instead of one side who are just militaristic and refuse to ever back down or give up until they're literally being destroyed at their final outpost. like. I don't know, it just it feels much more real for that, and I think it's a really good decision. I'd like to see more Gundam shows like that, honestly, because yeah. I feel like they went back to the more like, well,
1: we're soldiers stuff, which is fun, but I don't know, this stuff's I cool. I feel like Iron-Blooded Orphans was kind of like that. Like, the villains in Iron-Blooded Orphans weren't necessarily, like, complete monsters.
0: Mm, yeah, that's true, but... Also, I don't think that Iron-Blooded Orphans has quite as much of a top-level view of things. No. Like... No, certainly not. I mean, I I have a lot to say about that show, and I'll refrain from it, but my, my thesis on that show is that, overall, it's a show about children being manipulated by adults into doing bad stuff, yeah, and, like, right. as a result, you kind of have to have the perspective of the children... Uh, rather than the perspective of the people doing the manipulating. um. So, I I mean, I think that show also gets into some similar territory, but I think this is the only Gundam show that I've seen that is really devoted to the political angle um, yeah. as much as it is. So, I, I like the political stuff, but... I mean, I could gush about this show forever, and I will continue to, so I won't go too far into this, but, like... Another thing that I really enjoy about this show is just the level of difference of, like, military capability between the two sides, which also adds a bit of drama to it that is, again, kind of absent in a lot of other Gundam shows. Like, Mobile Suit Gundam, the initial premise is that the three mobile suits they have on White Base are the three mobile suits that the Federation has, period. But because there have been like a hundred thousand other stories set in that timeline. And pretty much all of those also involve a Gundam at this point, that whole aspect of it is kind of lost. Like, yeah, there's like seven Gundams kicking around during the one year war at this point. (laughs) So the original Gundam may be special for some reason, but like it doesn't feel as special as it used to in this series it really does feel like Lauren is like the only hope for the militia to resolve this conflict without just getting completely slaughtered by, you know, Diana counter, which I think is cool. It it adds really high stakes to figuring out even what the Gundam is or how to use it.
1: And I, I like how they have to like really scrounge. The militia has to scrounge and like excavate and try and find mobile suits just to like hold any kind of chance. And like, The Kapools can't seem to do much as it is. Like, they still can't (laughs) hold shit against a Wodom.
0: Yeah, I mean, a Wodom's like five times the size of a Kapool. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, that's another thing that I think is really cool about this show. is like, partly because of that difference in technology, I feel like this is one of the first Gundam shows in a while that you feel how big mobile suits are. Because mm-hmm, yeah. you're seeing them from the perspective of people flying around biplanes. And also, there's a greater disparity in the general sizes of mobile suits in this show. Like, yeah. Diana Counter has these huge WADAMs, but they also have these tiny little mobile suits called WADs, which are like a tenth of the size of the WADAM, and they will deploy them in teams together. And it just, I don't know, there's there's something about the sense of scale that feels a lot more interesting and like maybe realistic to me yeah that like, it would it, have this kind of combined operation
1: it's not just like one size of mobile suit and they're all the same with like maybe there's one super big one on like an episode yeah yeah there's like, like a said it's armor. like you got little ones you got big ones you got huge ones you know it, and i i also really like speaking on the scale they also i feel like do a lot of good environmental like it, you see how the effect that these mobile suits have on the environment like they're stepping like the p- people will be like hey don't walk through my fucking field <laughs> yeah like, right right right. in your mobile suit yeah and, you're like, just
0: destroying my stuff right
1: yeah there's a lot of um the world feels like so alive that when you see like all this destruction it really you you kind of feel it and you can kind of kind of feel the impact of these mobile suits running around. Like it's something I think Mm. about in the world and, um, not in a way where I, if it doesn't feel disjointed at all, it feels like, no, this is part of the narrative and that's, um, that it gets my imagination working like that this i think is fantastic
0: but i i think really though my favorite part about this show compared to other gundam shows and just other shows in general too i mean this is a good show on its own terms it doesn't need to be good for a gundam show yeah um is that it it finds the tragedy of war without just killing off like main characters or like introducing yeah. characters who exist basically just to die to make the audience feel sad or like to make the main characters feel sad
1: yeah, for the most something part Tomino is good at
0: right yeah and frankly like I don't know I, I like Zeta Gundam a lot but it got to the point where I honestly found it kind of funny when characters died because it just happens so frequently and like yeah, They would, you know, you, you would see a new, oh, here's a new Titan pilot. They're not going to survive for two episodes. Like, they're dead. They're dead meat because yeah. it's just a new Titan pilot. Who cares about them? This show does a very good job of building a core cast and then having them feel the impact of war through, like, the death of a father or the destruction of a city or just, like, villages being abandoned because there's a war happening. or loss of livelihood right right or um you know watching the moon race settlers build their chain link fences across the whole planet basically (laughs) to mark off their territory like again i think partly because of the political angle it, it gives a feeling to war that is a bit more i don't know maybe for me, has a bit more depth and resonance.
1: I think it really, it, it excels at capturing um, a lot more complexity in its depiction of war than most shows, especially most, like, shows with giant robots in them. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, That that's a good way to put it, for sure, like... There there's more bad things to war than just
1: people dying, I guess, is yeah, what I'm getting. Yeah, at. there's a lot more consequences. Right. And this to, show does to it war into leadership and to like yeah, moving people. Right, right. And this show
0: does a really good job of kind of outlining those without feeling sort of I don't know, crass is the wrong word, but just sort of like Yeah. Like there there's always a feeling I have these days when i'm watching a show and a character that i like dies where i feel like the creator is like idiot if you liked that (laughs) character time for you to feel sad because that character's (laughs) dead now and it's like (laughs) okay like i guess i'm just kind of tired of it at this point yeah like so it's nice to watch a show where it's like no i mean yes characters die and it's sad but you experience the sadness more through the primary characters than, I guess, on your own terms. Like, I think that's the difference. It's displacing it slightly so that you are empathizing with the main characters instead of just having the gut reaction feeling yourself, which I think is a really good way to do it, frankly. Like, uh, I think that's smart. So we will talk about this show more and more in the coming weeks, obviously, but uh, we... But now it's time to make a bet.
1: So for the bet, what we're going to do is how many times is Lauren injured due to an accident of his own causing or just due to an accident, really?
0: Yeah, Lauren is pretty accident prone. In the first episode, he is attacked by wolves and almost drowns in a river. And I think something (laughs) else happens, too. (laughs)
1: In like, the space of, like, five minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, while he's sitting in the cockpit of the mobile suit, Sochi sits down and, like, hits him in the balls basically like it's, it's just that kind a couple of stuff. times yeah that that <laughs> does happen repeatedly
1: he <laughs> at one point makes the completely wild decision to just leap off of a zeppelin to land on top of a biplane to deliver a message and of course he <laughs> hits his nuts there so. yeah right right which i guess is better than dying horribly
0: <laughs> and you know it's funny because like if a character uh hit themselves in the crotch and say Dragon Ball. I'd be like, ah, yep. But, but again, <laughs> yeah. the, like the thing about this show that's weird is it does all this stuff that Dragon Ball, for example, would do, but it feels so much more, I don't know, innocent and good. Like,
1: yeah, for example, it's
0: difference in tone. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just crazy that in the first episode of the show, there's like two women bathing in a river and the show doesn't just frame them as sexily as they possibly can constantly for like a solid right. minute it, it's a saxophone right it's right <laughs> it's such a contrast from dragon ball but yes anyway yeah. back to the bet the, the, the show
1: seems tasteful
0: <laughs> right yeah and that's really nice i i enjoy tasteful shows yeah. for the most part
1: uh so, so how many times does it get in an accident Let's say, um he have what a, a, an injury from an accident, okay? yeah, yeah, an accident related injury, yeah, um w- just getting hurt
0: right uh, I guess I'll start because I kind of came up with i am i'm gonna say like seven times over the course of these next uh, however many episodes
1: hmm, I'll say I'll say five,
0: okay, sounds good, all right, so with the bet locked in, that brings us to the end of the show uh next week we'll be doing nothing but the week after that we will be covering turn a gundam part two i'm not really sure how many episodes we're gonna watch we're sort of playing it by ear here we decided to stop obviously where Kehel and diana switched because that seemed like a big plot point to stop on so i don't know i i have a vague idea of where we'll stop next time but i guess again we'll play it by ear anyway until then then being when we cover turn a part two I'm Michael Doak. Smooth. I'm Peter Evie. I'm going to keep this. I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) We've struggled through enough of these. Anyway, be sure to revisit (laughs) us in two weeks for Turn A Gundam Part 2. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're staying safe and wearing a mask in public. If you have the means, please remember to provide for others in your community by donating to your local food bank or towards a social cause like Black Lives Matter. If you want more of our content, please follow us at Facebook.com slash HBPod and Twitter at HBPod, where we post all of our episodes as well as additional content related to what we've been watching. This is also a great way to get in contact with us if you're so inclined. Of course, subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts is also a surefire way to stay up to date. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a review. We like to hear what you have to say, and it helps us find new listeners. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for Turn a Gundam Part 2.